Open the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter number 11. Acts chapter number 11. If you need a Bible, there's probably a black cover Bible there in front of you. I encourage you to take that Bible. We'll have a lot of verses on the screen to help out. But uh, the text, if you want to find that in a Bible, it's uh, Acts chapter number 11. If you don't have a Bible, we encourage you to take that Bible as our gift to you. It's just to be a help to you. I think it's great for everyone to have a copy of the Word of God. And uh, that's a wonderful thing. And I hope you're doing all right today. Is everybody doing good? Can you smile, show both your teeth today? Everybody good? Okay, good. Nobody left. Okay, good. I don't know if that was offensive or too personal. All right, so very good. But this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter number 11. We've been continuing our series of now that Jesus is resurrected from the dead and Jesus is sent up into heaven, now we're going into the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And we've looked the last three weeks over the different conversions. We saw the conversion of uh, with Philip with the Ethiopian uh, that come to faith in Christ. And a couple weeks ago we saw... Saul that was saved would later become the Apostle Paul that you know about. And then last week we looked at the salvation of Cornelius, looking at somebody that a lot of times would be your enemy, but when they come to faith in Christ. And we're going to be in Acts chapter number 11, and I'm going to read a few verses here to start with. But in Acts chapter number 11, beginning in verse number, I'll start in verse 19, okay? It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phineas and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. So just letting you know, Stephen has been stoned. If you understand and remember this, Stephen has been a martyr. We have the first Christian martyr, someone that's actually died for their faith of being a Christian. So news of that is scattered. People are leaving Jerusalem because of fear of persecution, okay? And so we see how the gospel's really been to the Jews, and now it's going to start spreading, okay? Verse 20. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. So they're spreading Christ, verse 21. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave or draw closer unto the Lord. Verse 24, this is speaking of Barnabas. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people were added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarshish for to seek Saul, who we now know as Paul. And when he found him, he brought him into Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves uh, assembled themselves with the church and taught much people and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Let's pray. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me and bless his holy name. And bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Father, we just want to thank you so much for having this time that we set aside to come into your house, to come into this place, Lord, that's not ours, it's yours. But Lord, to worship you. And Lord, before we ask for anything, we just want to stop you and thank you for being God. Lord, we don't always understand what you do. We don't know why you do it or why you allow it. But Lord, we know that you love us more than we could even love ourselves. And Lord, you desire for every person in this room, every boy, every girl, every, every man, every woman, to be saved, to be drawn into yourself, to know that, you, that, that we're loved of you. Father, I want to thank you for the time that we can spend together around your word. Lord, I do ask for those that might be struggling today, Lord, those that have things that are heavy on their heart. Lord, maybe even for someone in here that might be struggling with anger and bitterness of something that's just really 
Lord, possibly they're even questioning your goodness. Lord, I know we're all capable of doing that. But Lord, today I pray that you would speak through your word. Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things out of thy law. Lord, be with those working with the children today. Lord, I pray you would bless those. Give, give favor in the eyes and the ears of those uh, children, the workers that will just pr present your word. Lord, I do pray for myself for a moment. God, I ask you would forgive me of my sins and empty me of myself. Lord, help me to faithfully proclaim what you have for us today. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's his wonderful name we pray. Amen. Uh, back in the 1990s, I know that's for some of y'all, that's like ancient history. For some of us, it feels like two weeks ago, right? Back in the early 90s, there was a Nike commercial that came out because Michael Jordan had been drafted by the Chicago Bulls, and I was not a big Michael Jordan fan. I, was, I always grew up a Magic Johnson fan. I love Magic Johnson. He could pass the ball. He could do all these different things, play all the different positions. But at the end, some of y'all might have been a Larry Bird fan or other people like that, Dr. J. Some of you don't have any idea who I'm talking about, and that's okay. But you know what? Come this young guy on the scene that just totally changed the game of basketball. This guy would jump from the free throw line and dunk a ball, and, and these commercials Nike came out with is this, I want to be like Mike. And some of y'all may remember that. It was even a little song, and no, I'm not going to sing it for you today. But it was basically, I want to be like Mike. Some of y'all are like, now you can't get that tune out of your head right now. You don't remember what I preached last Sunday, but you remember it. No, I'm kidding. All right, that's okay. But we want, what, you want to be like Mike. And every kid I remember that time and college player and teenager would take a basketball and draw a little line somewhere on their driveway and try to jump there as far as they could jump and shoot a ball and do all the different moves because they could watch this guy. And we, we watched him in amazement. And you watched him, and because of two things. One, you were so impressed of what he could do, but also you had the reality of, He's a human just like I am. You know, Michael Jordan didn't even make his uh, varsity team his freshman team. He got cut. I always wonder, how did that coach feel? Like, that was really, I mean, actually, he said it gave him the most um, uh, kind of incentive and drive when he didn't make it, make the team. And, you know, you think this, so many people, I want to be like Mike, want to be like Mike. And a lot of players today, which, you know, obviously, there's a lot of sinfulness and wickedness and all that. I get it. But a lot of people today modeled growing up, they want to be like Mike. And we're going to look at a Bible character today that is not somebody that we would say, man, this is one of the great Bible characters. This is a Noah. This is a Moses. This is a Joseph in Scripture. This is an Apostle Paul. But we're going to see someone today that, honestly, we are to be like Christ. Don't get me wrong. We are to be like Christ. But you know what? I think God puts people in our lives that we have in our lives, people we study about, that you know what? We ought to strive and we can learn from it. Don't you learn from other people's mistakes a lot? I'll tell you, you can learn a lot from other people's mistakes. But you can also learn from a lot of other people's faith and trust in their spiritual life. I'll tell you, that's a wonderful thing too. And when you read the scripture here, you got all these people in Jerusalem, all these Jews that are saved. And, and, they, and finally, they, they scatter and they leave. And when they leave, some of them go to this place called Antioch. And if you notice in the last verse that we read, verse 26, is that when the phrase Christian came... It wasn't in Jerusalem. It wasn't where the crucifixion was. It wasn't where the day of Pentecost was. It wasn't where we get the beginnings of the church. It was actually in a Gentile sect, a Gentile city, a place called Antioch. And the way that they lived their lives, they lived their lives in such a way that people looked at them and we get the phrase Christian. They were called Christians first in Antioch. 
There was somebody that was a leader in that by the way he led and the way he lived his life. You ever looked at somebody and say, you know, just by watching them, we know salvation is not about works, but you just look at them, you watch them, you listen to them, maybe you're close to them, maybe you watch them from afar, and you're like, man, it's just I can tell that they're a Christian. I can tell that they love the Lord. When you think of them, you think that's what a Christian is or that's what a Christian should be. And we're, none of us are perfect. We get that. But this morning, I want us to look at Barnabas. Barnabas is not one of those names that rolls off the tongue. You think great things. You think about Moses and the Red Sea parting. You think of, you know, Joseph and the coat of many colors. You think of the Apostle Paul and all the things that he did. But we want to look at a little bit this morning of this. It's talking about Barnabas and being called a Christian. And I tell you what's very convicting to me in studying this passage. I wonder when people, and I look at the life of Barnabas and how it overflowed and influenced people there in the church at Antioch, that those, Christ, those people there were called Christians first there. Christian meaning follower of Christ, little Christ, if you would. And today when people look at your life and my life, I wonder if they followed me this last week, if they look and go, and that's a Christian by the way they live. And I want us to see some things here in the life of Barnabas. And like I said, I'm not trying to get you to be like a person ultimately we're supposed to be like christ but just like back in like i said the 90s when we wanted to be like mike play like mike look like mike michael jordan those kind of things i think there's some people that god gives us some scripture that we can obviously we're focusing we're directing towards christ but why was barnabas called a christian because he's one of the ones that was in a place where that that term got coined i mean that's where it happened at i want us to see why was barnabas being called a christian and why maybe some things that we can do that when people look at our lives they can say yeah that's somebody right there, the Christian as well. Let's see some things about Barnabas this morning. Uh, number one, I want us to see this. It says he was a good man. Now, in verse number 24, it's going to be kind of our main text. Now, we're going to jump to a lot of other passages of Scripture. I'm just letting you know that now, okay? And we'll throw some of the stuff on the screen for you. But it's talking about Barnabas. He's sent there, and it says, when he got to this church, he started working. In verse 24, it says, for he was a good man. Good man there means he had favor. He was favorable. You know, he, he, was some of the, he was a person that had a good respect and reputation amongst other people. Over in, uh, stay, stay there in Acts, but if you flip back in, in chapter number 4, the first time that we see Barnabas is back in Acts chapter number 4, verses 36 and 37. And it says in Acts 4, 36 and 37, it says, And Joses, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation. By the way, that means the son of encouragement. It says, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So when it talks about him being a good man, it man, he was a man of favor. Well, first time we read about Barnabas, it says that they, talk, they changed his name to Barnabas. Why? Because he was an encouragement. We're not going to jump on this for real long, but let me just ask you a question. When your name comes up in people's minds on your job, does the word encouragement come to mind? Somebody that wants to build people up. Somebody that has a desire to build up. Or is it somebody just that you tear down? You say, Phil, I don't build people up, tear down. I just keep my nose to the grindstone and do my own business. Those people aren't remembered real well, though, are they? Barnabas said, you know what? And Barnabas, by the way, had favor with people, people that were saved and not saved. And by the way, when you read this passage in Acts 4, a lot of times we separate it from Acts chapter 5. And if you remember several weeks ago, What's Acts chapter 5, verses 1 on down? You remember what that was? That was Ananias and Sapphira. Remember, they sold one, but kept some of it, and they brought it to Peter and to the church, and they said, here it is, we gave it all. Remember Ananias, I'm I sold all this, I'm doing all this for God. And you remember, he lied, and actually he died. God, God killed him right there. Now, 
people are like, Brother Phil, if God was killing people for lying back in the early church, man, there ain't going to be a whole lot of people at church. Can I tell you that God did not take Ananias' life for lying? Ananias, by the way, you know what he did? He saw at the end of chapter 4, he saw this man Barnabas come and say, hey, I just, I just want to be sacrificial. I just want to be somebody. And by the way, a good, good man, good woman is sacrificial of their times, their talents, their abilities that God gives them. He says, I just want to give what I have and give it to the church to help out. I want to give it to God. I want to give it to however we can do to spread the gospel. And Barnabas wasn't asked to do that. But Ananias was sitting there probably as they met and said, man, look at everybody clapping, getting excited. I mean, that'd be a pretty cool church service, wouldn't it? I mean, they did all this, and Barnabas, and Barnabas is giving. He said, I just want to give it all to God. Whatever God wants to do, I just give it all to him. And we see that Ananias sits there and thinks, man, look at everybody getting all excited because of what Barnabas did. I want some of that. And by the way, Barnabas did it to glorify God. The reason Ananias was killed was not because he lied. Remember what Peter said? You didn't lie to me. No one's even made you do this. This is yours. I don't know why you even did this. You didn't have to do this. No one had a gun to your head saying, sell everything you have. If you hadn't lied to me, you lied to the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, this, I, this is really why I believe God took Ananias' life. Because when Barnabas gave, Barnabas gave it for the glory of God to give God glory. I truly believe God took Ananias' life because he robbed God of his glory. I tell you, one of the most dangerous things you can do in your life, and I'm not threatening you with life or death here, Okay. But it's a dangerous place to live when you rob God of his glory. He says, I am a jealous God. God says, I am a jealous God. And I will not be robbed of my glory. I will not be robbed of my honor. And can I tell you, Ananias, somebody that sat in church, was a part of the early believers. You know what he did? He robbed God of his glory. But that's not what Barnabas did. Barnabas says, I want to be sacrificial. I want to be a giver. I want to do it for the glory of God. I don't want to do it just for myself. He had favor, but another reason he was a good man is not just because he was favorable, not just because he was a giver of that and wanted to give glory to God, but also he was an encourager back in chapter 9 of, of Acts there. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we studied in Acts chapter 9, and we saw the idea of when Saul trusted Christ as his Savior. If you remember, we said a lot of people didn't really trust him. Some of them wanted to kill him. I mean, they didn't really know, and it says that some of the people lowered uh, Paul out of the city in a basket they were just doing what they could to help him and then it goes on as he's getting out of damascus there if you see in verse uh, number uh, 26 of acts 9 it says this and when saul was come to jerusalem he essayed to join himself the disciples and that they were afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple so he leaves the he leaves damascus and he gets lowered in a basket and he goes to jerusalem with this idea i want to see i want to join the disciples i want to join the followers of christ I want, to, I want to change my life. I want to be different. And what does it say the disciples did? They were very scared of him. By the way, before we throw rocks at the disciples, Saul, before his conversion, was imprisoning and killing men, women, and children for doing what we're doing right now. So you've got to kind of admit, I understand a little bit of hesitation. But nobody, they didn't want to receive him. Nobody wanted to embrace Saul. And we didn't get to it this week, but there's something important in verse 27 of Acts 9. It says, but Barnabas. Everybody else was afraid. Everybody else believed in him. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Can I tell you, if you like underlining things in your Bible, you know what I have underlined in verse 27? But Barnabas took him and brought him. You know what? That's when you see encouragement. Barnabas is saying, you know what? I got a guy here that people are afraid to be a part of. They're afraid to be associated with him. Barnabas says, you know what? 
This guy says he's trusted Christ. This guy says he's trying to make his life right. He's trying to do right and glorify God. And I see how Barnabas takes a chance. And when everyone else was scared, didn't want to be associated, didn't believe in him, I love how Barnabas says, you know what? I'm going to take this guy in, and I'm going to bring him to the disciples. Why does Barnabas bring him? Because Barnabas is saying, I approve of him. He's with me. Aren't you thankful for people when you were kind of in a bad place in life that believed in you when there was no one else that would believe in you? When there's people that wouldn't believe in you, people that wouldn't trust you, people that just kind of scared of being around you, maybe people that are bitter at you, maybe whatever it was, it, and they would not accept you, aren't you glad for that person that kind of came around and said, hey, I'll take you in. I'll walk with you. Yeah, you got a past, it's okay, but you got a present, you got a future in Christ, and let's go forward, let's go with this thing. I tell you, you want to know why Barnabas was a good man? Because Barnabas was willing to take a chance on people that a lot of people don't want to take a chance on. You're looking at somebody that in, in my life, I've not been perfect probably 15 minutes of my life. And I thank God for every Barnabas that's come around me that was a good man, that was a good woman, that prayed for me, loved on me, and said, hey, I'm going to take you in. I'm willing to help you as you walk in your relationship when no one else wants to take a, take a gamble on you, so to speak. I want to encourage you. I want to help you. I tell you, when we read about the Apostle Paul's life, we don't even think twice about Barnabas. But I wonder and to myself how much Paul had to love the guy when no one else would love him, when no one else would take a chance on him, when no one else would even be seen with him. Here you got a guy that's a good man. He proved he was good. Why? Because he's willing to take people in and love on people when other people weren't able to do it. It's easy to love people that are lovable, right? I mean, I know you're looking at me thinking, man, Brother Phil, it'd be so easy to love you. I mean, I love you. That's a joke, and I guess some of you got it. Okay, good. Well, it's going to be rough today. All right. What about encouraging somebody that's unlovable? Well, you know what a good man, you know what a good woman, you know what a Christian does? By the way, you can be saved and not be a Christian. Saved means I'm trusting Christ as my Savior. Christian means I'm following Christ in my life and the way that I live. I'm a follower of Christ. There's a lot of people that are saved that aren't actively following Christ in their life. And I do that a lot too. But you know what we ought to do? We ought to be looking for people that we can love on that nobody else wants to love. You know what we call it? Bandwagon? Don't, don't you kind of not like it when one team does really well or one person or something does well and everybody's ready to high-five them and love them and, and do all that stuff, you know? I kind of joke like this a little bit with my friend Darren. I, nobody was a Cubs fan until they won something, Darren. But you were, boss. You were. You've been with them through thick and thin, and there's been like a century of a lot of thin, so I know what you mean. <laughs> I walk around, I see everybody that's got this Cubs stuff on, Cub that around. I'm like, nobody liked the Cubs. Until they started winning, still doing good. But you know, a true fan, and I know Darren's one of those, he is with them in the bad years. By the way, he probably didn't like the outcome on the field a lot of those years. You know what? We don't necessarily have to like what everybody does. We don't have to agree with what everybody does. Loving on somebody, encouraging somebody, influencing them, say, hey, let me help you. Let me take your hand as we walk together in this thing called the Christian life. It goes a long way. That's what a Christian does. And Barnabas, being called a Christian because Barnabas was a good man. He was a man that wanted to do that. Um, and like I said, he had, he had a good reputation. We won't look there, but Acts 2.47 has the idea that they had favor with people, favor with all men. That's those people that are without Christ. I'll read you a passage over in Colossians chapter number 1 just real quick. 
talking about having a good man is not just someone that's sacrificial, not just someone that's just favorable, but it's somebody also not as a encourager, but a good man is somebody also that has is what we call a good reputation. Colossians chapter number one, verse number 10 says this, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all, unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know what the goal is, as we call ourselves Christians, is that we may live a life, that we may walk it in a way that is worthy of what Christ has saved us to do, and that it will be pleasing to him, and that we'll be fruitful in it in that and constantly growing. Let me ask you a question. How's your reputation today as a Christian? Not as a businessman, not as a mom, not as an employee, but how is your reputation of being called a Christian? If we had to ask those around you, those that you live with, those that you work with, those that you happen to come in contact with a lot, can I tell you, a lot of times in life, we really, man, we set the bar so low. You don't have to raise your hand because I've been guilty of this, but you ever say to yourself, man, I just want to be a better parent. Man, I just want to be a better parent. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with being a better parent. Man, I just want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to be a better son, better daughter. Man, I just want to be a better uh, employee. God, I just, I just want to be better. You know what we're ultimately saying? If we say, God, I just want to be a better Christian. If you could just make me more like you, you'll take care of the marriage. You'll take care of the relationships. You'll take care of the parenting. You'll take care of a lot of that. The more I'm like Christ, the more he'll take care of the rest of it. But see, the problem is, when I say I want to be a better parent, a lot of times, I just want to be a better parent than those other people around me. So I can feel better about being a parent. But see, when I say I want to be more like Christ, I have to compare myself to Christ, not to other people. And that's tough. I mean, that's tough. But the more I'm like Christ, the more I'm going to be the right kind of parent, the more I'm going to be the right kind of church parent, the more I'm going to be the right kind of whatever in our lives. And can I tell you this morning, it ought to be for believers, it ought to be that those inside the church live in such a way that those outside the church speak highly of us. You know what? It ought to be that those of us that are in here today live such a way out there that those that are out there, that are not a part of the of church, not part of Christ, ought to be able to look at the way you live, ought to be able to look at the way I live, and we ought to be highly favored in their eyes. All of us has either been or known a Christian that's like they call themselves a Christian, but you wouldn't trust them any further than you can throw them. Their word is not good. Their word is not valid. Their word is not sure. They're in everything for themselves. They'll step on anybody or anything. It's about them. And can I tell you what we do when we do that? We hurt the cause of Christ. And we turn Christian into something that it's not. We turn the image of Christ into something that it's not. Hey, what I love about Barnabas is that, you know what, the Bible says pretty plainly, here's a good man. Let me ask you a question. I'm asking myself during this time. Are you? Are you a good man? Are you a good woman? Are you somebody that has these things in your life? Secondly, we see about this. Back in uh, Acts chapter number uh, 11, it says not only in verse number 24, he was a good man, but it says, and full of the Holy Ghost. You know what that means, and full of the Holy Ghost? It means simply this. He was spirit-filled. He was filled with the Spirit. Can I tell you something today? Everybody in this room, their life is filled and consumed with something. Everybody in this room. You're either filled a lot of times with worry, with fear, with hate, with selfishness. You might be filled with, you know, trying to succeed in life. You're wanting to be praised of people. I tell you, a lot of times, one of the biggest snares we ever get in our Christian life is that we're so consumed with what other people think about us. By the way, other people think good of me. Guess what that does for me? I feel better. 
But can I tell you, my approval rating, no offense, is not based on you. Do I want to be pleased, uh, well pleased of man, or do I want to be pleased of God? Do I want to be accepted of God in the way I live my life? And if you had to ask yourself this morning, are you filled with the Spirit? Hey, you say the pastor, is he supposed to be filled with the Spirit? Everybody like, uh, yeah, buddy, it's your job, right? And the person that gets up here and maybe leads in music or leads the choir, or the choir singing, or the youth pastor, I'll tell you, if you work with kids or teens, you better be filled with the Spirit. I'm telling you that right now. You better. That's why I got out of that stuff, went to big people. You know, no, I'm kidding. You say, yeah, man, those people in leadership and authority need to be filled with the Spirit. But what about you that attend church? What about you, church member? Right now, you feel the Spirit? The love of Christ, the patience of Christ, the long-suffering of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ? What is filling your life right now? Some of us are so filled with hurt and so full of hate and so full of worry and just anxiety. I tell you, there's no room for God in your glass. There's no room. There's no room for God in it because you're full. You're so consumed with what's going on in your life. Are, are you spirit-filled this morning? We're in the church. And, and by the way, i, I got a couple of sub-points here. How was Barnabas filled with the Spirit? How was he spirit-filled? Same ways that we can be spirit-filled this morning, if you're not already. I see this. He was spirit-filled. Uh, two parts to this, because he had a separated walk. That means he didn't walk like, live like, talk like, think like the world. The Bible does say that you're in the world, right? But we're not supposed to be of it. I mean, ain't nothing I can do about living in the world. I kind of like living. Okay, both of you too. I kind of like living. You know, we all like living, right? We're in the world. We're going to live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And you know why Barnabas was so filled and sensitive to the Holy Spirit? Because he didn't walk like people that didn't know God. Because the difference between someone that is saved, a child of God, and someone that is not saved is the saved one has the Holy Spirit indwelling them, and the unsaved person, best case scenario, has their conscience to guide them. If you're like me, my conscience is not a real good guide a lot. And being filled with the Spirit means we don't walk like the world. Uh, if you like to look over Ephesians chapter number 5, just giving you the idea of being filled with the Spirit means we walk different. Meaning that our lives don't look like people that are unbelievers. We don't act like, we don't think like. Doesn't mean we're special because there's something great about us. It's not about us. But in Acts, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 5, it says this in verse number 15. See then that you walk circumspectfully. Now, by the way, that means completely around. Not as fools, but as wise. And let me explain that real quick, okay? We run past verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectfully. That means it's when something happens, instead of just looking at it from one angle, Walk around the whole thing. Anybody else other than me struggle when something happens? I just respond because that's the only way I look at something. <laughs> you realize later if I would just had a little patience, if I just prayed, if I just waited, you know what? This is the only way I've seen it. But if I would just wait on God and walk circumspectfully, you know what? God had something. Okay. I tell you, there's a lot of times, you know, I think I'm right in what I do to only find out later I was wrong because I did it on my own self. In things in your life, maybe in the way you responded to somebody this week, maybe in the way that you did something or didn't do something, maybe the way something got just dumped in your life this week, did you walk circumspectly or you just respond? I find out I rarely respond correctly when I do it off the cuff. I don't know if you're, you're good at that. I rarely do that. But he says, see, then you walk circumspectly. Why? Not as foolish. I hate people look at my life or God to look at my life and say, man, you're foolish. 
because you're only looking at this one way. That's the only angle, the only perception you have of it. It says, not as fools, but as wise. Look at verse 16. Well, why should I do that? Redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think nobody in this room has got a problem saying, you know, we live in some evil days. But you know why I got to be wise the way I, I, I approach things that God brings in my life, that people bring in my life, is because I don't have a lot of time. We don't have a lot of time. So I better redeem the time by looking at it and praying about it and going about it and saying, God, I want to be wise in the way I do it because these days are evil. Verse 17 says, Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. In verse 18, talking about being filled with the Spirit, says, And be not drunk with wine, where is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. Now, verse 18, I've heard preached a thousand ways about you shouldn't get drunk. It's about alcohol. Can I tell you, verse 18 is not about alcohol. It is not about alcohol. Verse 18 is saying this. He uses the example just like someone that becomes intoxicated. What happens? That means for a while their body is what controlled by the things that they say, the things that they do, how they act, how they think. It's controlled. They're still awake. You ever seen somebody drunk? And what they're doing a lot of times they probably wouldn't do if they were in their right mind, if they were sober, right? And the Bible's saying just as, uh, excuse me, Paul's saying, just as if you are controlled by a substance like that, allow the Holy Spirit to consume you and control you, what you think, what you say, what you do, how you act. And i got to be honest, I don't do that a whole lot. You know, if you get consumed by alcohol, you get consumed by drugs, you get consumed by something else, when they get consumed by it, it controls you. And just imagine if we had a church full of people and a pastor that was so filled with the Holy Spirit. This, however, the Holy Spirit led. Man, we were just sensitive right to it. Man, we were filled with it. There's a need. Let's meet that need. Hey, there's time to pray. Let's do this. Hey, let's do this right here. Well, it's not on the itinerary. It's okay. Skip the itinerary. Let's do what we're supposed to do. But the way you lived your life this week, were you consumed? Were you filled with the Holy Spirit? Or were you consumed with self and your plan and your agenda for the day? I said it in Sunday school, and forgive those that heard it before. The days are long, but the years are awful short. If you live your days for yourself, you'll spend your whole life living for yourself. But Phil, it's hard to be consumed. It's hard to be spirit-filled. It's hard to do it all week. You know what? Just be filled with the Spirit of God today. I find out if I do things in small intervals, the big ones become hard. If I told you, man, you need to live a godly Christian life all your life, does anybody else find that very overwhelming? But if I just said, why don't you do God's will for your life today? Do and act what God wants you to do today. And you do it today, guess what you do tomorrow? Same thing. Be filled more. Be filled with that. Because your life's going to get filled with something. It's going to. It's going to get filled with worry. It's going to get filled with all kinds of things. But the idea of doing that is being filled with the Spirit. And, and you say, well, how do I do that, Phil? How do you take theory and make it into practicality? By the way, don't, don't you kind of hate it sometimes when you hear something like, man, that's true, but I have no idea how to do it. That's why the rest of the verses come in. He says, be ye filled with the Spirit. How? Verse 19 speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in fear of God. I have underlined this in my Bible, to be filled with the Spirit. I have underlined verse 19, speaking, singing, verse 20, giving thanks, and verse 21, submitting yourselves. You say, what does that mean? If I want to be filled with the Spirit, what are you, what are you speaking into your life? What are you speaking into your life? Some of you, I just, I love you. 
but what you watch and what you listen to, you are speaking volumes of things that are just anti-God in your life. Are you speaking truth in your life? By the way, truth hurts sometimes, don't it? God loves me, God loves me just how I am, but he, doesn't, he loves me enough to also not let me stay where I'm at. Like if you got a kid and that kid's acting wrong, you love them enough to correct them, but you also love them enough you don't want them to keep doing the dumb things they're doing. My parents loved me a lot, you know, growing up. But what are you speaking into your life every day? Are you picking up this book? Are you reading it just so you can check off a Bible reading schedule? I encourage you, try something. It's going to totally mess up your Bible reading schedule, okay? You don't have to. Some of you are like, I ain't doing it, Phil. It's going to mess it up by December 31st. I'm going to be at Revelation 21. Whatever you got to do, okay? I encourage you, give us a shot. Pick up your Bible in the morning or in the evening whenever you do it. And ask God to speak to you. And when God speaks to you about a verse, stop. You ever been like me? I've read a chapter and God says something to me around verse number three, but I've got to read all 21 verses, right? It's not, problem isn't God speaking, it's me listening and obeying. I tell you, sometimes I don't make it past one verse. God says, hey, right here, this is what I got for you today. But even in something as good as reading the Bible, we become very systematic and totally take the spirit of God out of it. God, speak to me. God, if, and every now and then I've had this too, and some of y'all were scared I was going to go this way. But I read my chapter, and I didn't get anything out of it, but God, I read my chapter. Maybe God wants you to go to chapter two. Man, man, you sound crazy, Phil. Next thing you know, we'll be reading the whole book of Jude in one sitting. It'll be okay. There's only a few many verses, okay? But the idea and desire, God, speak into my life. You're here today. Do you want God to speak into your life? Do you want another believer to encourage you and love you, speak into your life? It's really hard to be filled with the Spirit when you got the wrong thing speaking in your life. But it also says singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's a joy. That's an attitude. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to hit all the notes. Don't mean you're going to sing everything on tune. But you know what? That's a joy and a gladness that you have in your heart. When you walked in this morning... Did you have, you say, are you filled with the Spirit? It's hard to say I'm filled with the Spirit and be bitter. It's hard to be filled with the Spirit and be angry. It's hard to be filled with the Spirit if you felt like I've been done wrong. And I ain't saying none of that ain't true, but the Holy Spirit will help me when I'm filled with that, when I'm focusing on Christ and not focusing on my hurt or my problems or whatever it is I'm facing in my life, my shortcomings in my life. He says, you speak truth in your life, you sing, but it also goes into this. And by the way, it's kind of like the, like the Holy Spirit kind of stabs you and twists the knife a little bit. Then he says, giving thanks. Okay, giving thanks for what I want to give thanks for. No, always for all things. Can I just be honest with you? There are some things in my life, it's really hard for me to thank God for them. I'm just really hard. There's some days, and I'm not going to use examples because everybody's got... You know what? Think to yourself that thing that drives you crazy the most. Are you willing to thank God for it or them? Because that thing that in your life the most that's hurting you, that's killing you, God has allowed it in his sovereignty. Why? To make you more like him and to draw you closer to him. Not because he hates us, because he knows that if I stay comfortable in my life, I'm going to live this thing for me. I am but to give thanks unto God and to all things. 
And then it says, verse 21, submitting yourselves. You know what it means? I can be filled with the Spirit of God. You know what? I can't feel God's leading and spirit in my life. But the only thing I'm concerned with is how this touches me. But submitting myself, yielding myself into what God says there. So he became, Barnabas was spirit-filled because he had a separated walk. That means it was very distinctive, distinctively different in his lifestyle and the way that he lived. I'll read this other verse to you real quick, and I know we've got to keep going. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verse number 17 has the idea of Second Corinthians six seventeen says this, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Why? I will receive you. I almost jumped past that verse, but I tell you, we all focus on the part of that verse, if you know that portion of Scripture, come out from among them and be separate. Why does God want me to live a separate Christian life? Very end of that verse. I will receive you. Everybody in this room has probably heard of Cain and Abel, right? Can I tell you something? Abel wasn't the only one that offered up something to God. Abel wasn't the only one that sacrificed himself to God. But God didn't accept Cain's. God rejected it. He rejected his sacrifice. He rejected his work. He rejected his offering. Why? Because it didn't please God. Why? Because it wasn't what God asked for. Don't be delusional in thinking just because you slip in church, just because you pray over a meal, just because you do these little things here and there that a Christian ought to do. Don't think he's going to look at the way you lived your life this week and say, I accept you. Can I tell you something? I know we say it around New Year's Eve. Each year, God's gift to us, what we do with that year is our gift to him. This year is almost over. How's that gift been? What you've been lifting up to him? And the question is, is he going to accept it? Is he going to accept it and say, thank you for your love? Thank you for, the, thank you for showing me glory. Is God going to look at it and say, I don't accept it? Wouldn't it be a horrible thing to live a whole year and God look at your life and say, the way you live this year, I do not accept it. But you know, I think he does that a lot of years in a lot of people's lives and a lot of my life too. But we see that. But we see that he was separating his walk. And also we see this, another part of why he was spirit-filled. And I'm taking some time here, I understand. But also... He had spiritual works. Our spiritual works were evident in his life. Works of the Spirit were evident in Barnabas' life. And, and when you think about it, over in Galatians chapter number 5 is where you get the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. And I always try to tell people, remember, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is the fruit of the Spirit, singular. You have it all together, maybe growing in it. But he was filled with the Spirit because he had spiritual works were evident, already existing in his life. They were part of his life. And when you read Galatians chapter number 5, it says in verse number 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such is no law. He's saying, you know what the fruit of a believer really is? A fruit is someone that's filled with the Spirit of God. It's somebody that's going to love the other person more than themselves. It's someone that's going to have joy that comes from Christ, not by their own personal success. It's someone that's going to have peace that is the peace of God, not the peace or approval of man. It's going to be someone that is long-suffering. It means it's patient. I tell you, I do not like being patient. But it's someone that's learning how to be patient. It's gentleness there. The idea with gentleness there is kindness and acting of kindness. Goodness. Faith there means faithful. He goes on to talk about meekness, and it's talking about a gentleness. But also, if I got the fruit of the Spirit, I'm going to show temperance. You know what that is? Good old-fashioned self-control. Anybody other than me could do a little better than that? <laughs> Did I just describe your week? Did I just describe the way you thought, the way you acted, how you responded this week? 
like again, I'm, I'm talking back to self here, okay? But a lot of times I think we're delusional, think we're filled with the Spirit, and we're so not filled with the Spirit because we don't live separated lives, and there's no evidence of fruit. You say, Brother Phil, I, I get all those things. Those are great, man, but you know, I'm not teaching. I'm not preaching. I'm not the Sunday school teacher. I'm not the pastor. I'm not one of these people. I'm not doing that. Can I tell you, Barnabas was asked when he was in Jerusalem to go to Antioch. He was asked to go there not because he would learn those things as he would go because those things were already evident in his life. He was asked to go there to see what was going on in Antioch because those things were evident in his life. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters in Christ, some of us may be thinking to ourselves that I'll add love, I'll add joy, I'll add peace, I'll add all these things. I'll add them when God asked me to serve. Can I tell you, if you don't add them before he asked you to serve, you're definitely not going to add it to your life when you're asked to serve. It's kind of like the phrase, you don't give somebody something to make them more faithful. God gives stuff to faithful people. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That means it was already faithful to begin with. Don't say, I'm going to be a better Christian. I'm going to be more Christ-like whenever God lays something on my heart to do. Go ahead and have those attributes already in your life. Don't wait to be asked. Be it now. Barnabas didn't get to Antioch and take on these things. Barnabas was a great church member in Jerusalem that these things were evident, and that's why they sent him. They sent him because of that. Thirdly, we see this as far as being Barnabas and being a Christian, it says back in Acts, it says something here, that it says that also he had strong faith. It says he was a good man, full of the Holy Ghost and of faith. Can I tell you, he had strong faith. He had strong faith. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'd like to show you something here just for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And uh, to give you the understanding in this passage is Paul is talking to this church, and Paul is saying, I love to be with you. I would love to come be with you. And he's basically saying, as long as I live, I'm separated from God because God in heaven. He says, but you know, as long as I'm living, I'm going to be separated from God. But he's also saying this. He said, but to be absent from the body is to be present with Christ. And that's what's going on here when Paul's speaking to him. In 2 Corinthians 5, 6, it says this. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that Whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by what? Faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore, we labor that whether we be present or live or absent, which is dead, we may be accepted of him. It's interesting how Paul's saying, whether I'm alive and I'm not in the presence of God or whether I leave this earth in the present with God, He's saying, you know, I want to be accepted of him. And the only way I'm accepted is that little bitty verse in verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. And let's just be honest. Some of us in this room, you could probably preach this sermon back to me about faith and having strong faith or weak faith or any faith at all. But can I tell you the reason why we ought to have strong faith in our life? It's given in verse 10 of 2 Corinthians. For we must all appear for the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. You know why I have strong faith in my life while I'm living in this earth so when I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord, one day I'm going to stand before him. Does your faith demonstrate that there's going to be a day that you stand before God? Or does your faith demonstrate maybe not? See, when I know I'm going to stand before God and give account to my life, man, it changes the way I live my life. 
it changes my faith in a situation into faith in God that is greater than anything that I will face. When I live in fear and doubt instead of faith in the one and walk by faith, you know what I'm telling him? I know there's a day coming I'm going to stand before you. But when I live and am consumed by doubt and with fear and with bitterness and hurt and failure, I'm not living as if there is a day coming. There's a day coming that I'll stand before him. And can I tell you, Barnabas had strong faith. He had strong convictions. Sometimes I think a lot of us that have been in church a long time, we don't have strong convictions. We've got awful strong preferences. Now, I'm not going to jump on this real long. But it's bad when we make the wrong thing the main thing. It's bad when we care more about what people look like than their relationship with Christ. It's, it's bad when we think they got to look like, act like, smell like, everything like us to be accepted of us. Don't get me wrong, i got preferences in my life. But there's a big difference when you say this, I believe should nowhere be as strong as the Bible says. Be careful that you don't make the wrong things the main thing. Let's just say like this, the small things, the main thing. We've all been guilty of that, right? We've all been guilty of making things that are good, but they ain't the main thing. See, Barnabas realized he had strong convictions. Can I tell you what a conviction is? Is that this thing we're holding right here is the word of God. That's a conviction. The conviction that we have that Jesus is, says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That salvation comes only by Christ. We have, that's a conviction. We have a conviction that Mary was a virgin and she had Jesus and that he lived this life sinless and, and, and pure and that he gave his life for us and that he was buried and he rose again the third day. That's a conviction. Not the color of the carpet or how people dress. All that stuff important? Not in the same ballpark, it ain't. Be careful what you call a conviction. Make sure it says what thus saith the Lord, not just I think. Because I found out a long time, I think really is I wrong <laughs> a lot of time. But he had strong faith. It means he had strong convictions of those things. And by the way, be strong in your faith. In Jude 3, this says to earnestly contend for the faith. And by the way, to be strong in your faith means something. you got to be a, probably not the right phrase, Bible studier. Be someone that studies this book. It's hard to be strong in something you have no knowledge of. You know what? I, I, I like, okay, I don't like lifting weights, okay? But let's just say, say, Phil, I see it, pipe cleaners, but I got it, okay? I understand. At one point, no, still didn't, okay? It's not enough to have the weights and the dumbbells and the bench in my house if I'm not using it every day. How often do you exercise spiritually? It's in our house. It's on our wall. As for me and our, my house, we will serve the Lord. It's on the walls. We're going to say the ceremonial prayer before, before the meal. We're going to say the prayer, now lay me down. I mean, you're going to do all these things. We're going to go to church. But in your house, it's not enough for it to be in your house. It's got to be in your life. My faith is not something I put on a wall. My faith is what is in my heart and my life, and it comes out through my mouth and my actions. And you think to yourself, how much are you working out spiritually? The Bible does say bodily exercise profits little. It means it does profit. It's good. We ought to take care of the temple. Okay, I got that. But so many of us are so worried about working out other things, and we don't make ourselves any stronger spiritually. And we always feel like, well, I don't have the answers. I don't have that. I'm so weak spiritually. Is it because God desires you to be weak? Because I won't lift the weight. Weights are hard. Weights are heavy. 
Sometimes it's hard to understand. But I'm not going to be any stronger if I don't pick it up. If I don't exercise it. If I don't get into the word of God. Can I tell you, strong faith is not just for the Sunday school teachers, the children's church workers, the preachers, the, me and other one that preach here. It's for the whole church to be strong in our faith. And I ask you this morning with love, not, not with condemning you. How strong is your faith this morning? Not in yourself, but in God. How strong is your faith? Barnabas was called a Christian because he had strong faith. You may say, well, pastor, I'm not the vocal type. What's that got to do with your faith? Pastor, I'm not an extrovert. What's that got to do with your faith? Not everybody's got strong faith that opens their mouth. I find out a lot of times the more of us that open our mouth, our faith is really not the greatest anyways. Can I tell you, if you're not strong in your faith because you don't think you have to speak publicly, you will fail privately. If you're not strong in your faith because you think you don't have to speak publicly, you rest assured you're going to fail privately. And it's not all about the public life. It's that private life with him. And what's happening here is these leaders of Jerusalem had heard of God doing great things in Antioch. And so they send Barnabas and they send Barnabas. Why? Because he was a good man, as it says. He was sincere. He was giving of himself. He was full of the Holy Ghost, which means he was spirit-filled. And also in this said he was a strong man, a strong faith, excuse me, of that. And then watch what happens at the end of verse number uh, 24 there. It says this, and much people were added unto the Lord because he was there and he was good and he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was sincere and he was strong. It says, and much people were added unto the Lord, which leads us number four to this. He was fruitful. He was fruitful and much people were added to the Lord. You know, he got there and the church started to grow. He got to Antioch and the church started to grow, not just numerically, but spiritually. And can I tell you, it's a lot more important to grow spiritually than it is numerically. And normally, if you'll grow spiritually, God takes care of the numbers. He'll take care of that. And what that tells me, that he was fruitful, means this. He was devoted in being a witness. He was devoted. I think everywhere Barnabas went, he told people, hey, don't come to First Baptist of Antioch. He says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Hey, I'm a proponent of Emmanuel, but I'll be a lot more proponent of who Jesus is. I'll be a lot more proponent of who Christ is and letting people know him. He was a devoted witness. But I tell you something that I think we all miss a lot. There's something about Barnabas, and we see it in the life of Saul becomes Paul. Barnabas was a disciple maker. He loved to make disciples. He wanted to see people saved, but he didn't want to just see them saved. He wanted to see them grow. Hey, let me ask you a question, church member, a church attender that comes to Emmanuel. Let me ask you this question. Is the church growing because of you? Are people growing spiritually because of you? Careful, because that thought probably came in your mind. That's your job, right? Glad Barnabas didn't have that idea. I don't read here and see Pastor Barnabas. There was already church going there. I believe he was a leader in that church. I think he came because these things were evident in their life. Hey, you know what? I want to see God, and I do think God's doing great things in our church, and I think our church is growing spiritually and hey, numerically too. I like it. I like not looking at green chairs all the time. You know, I like that. But can I tell you something? God can grow a church in spite of you. You say, well, I'm going here. It must, God, I must be doing something right. do me. Ain't got nothing to do with you. But is God blessing our church here because of your help and influence and discipling people and being a committed witness? Or is he doing it in spite of you? 
I don't want God to have to do it in spite of me. He can do it. That's not the way that he intends for us to do. It says that he added to the church. You know what that means? Added means this. They didn't just trust Christ. They stayed with Christ. You know what that means? They got discipled. They, got, they, they come to faith in Christ, and they also were discipled. And can I tell you something that Emmanuel needs at this church here? And you know what Emmanuel needs? It needs people that knows how to lead people to Christ. But it also needs people that are going to come alongside those new converts hand in hand and say, you know what? I'm going to help you walk as you follow Christ. You remember when you got saved? You ever sometimes just fall flat on your face and feel totally stupid making wrong decisions? Was there anybody in your life that came alongside of you that may have been a Christian a little bit longer than you? And spiritually kind of just took your hand and kind of walked with you. Hey, where you go, I'll go. If you go down that ditch, I'm going to go down the ditch and try to help you get out. You know what? Barnabas was somebody that says, I don't want to just lead you to Christ. I want to help as you walk towards him in the way you live your life. Every person in this room that knows the Lord is their Savior ought to be able to take somebody by the hand. Say, I ain't perfect, but I'm willing to walk with you. Who are you walking with in their journey and growing in Christ? Some of us have been saved three, five, ten, twenty years. Ain't discipling anybody. You know why? We're still looking for our Barnabas instead of being one. Where's my Barnabas? Who's going to help feed me spiritually today? And God's saying, I've been feeding you. And you can keep getting fed. But why don't you help someone else that's just starting out? Help someone else in leading them to Christ, but also showing them the way. Are you one of those people? Barnabas was one of those people. And this idea of this. And by the way, to be someone that disciples people, it means this. I have to be working on someone, which means I have to be looking for someone. That means this. I've got to have my eyes off me. Hard disciple people. The only thing going on in your life is your own, with your life. You, you ain't going to disciple anybody. And Barnabas didn't just come to check things out. He jumped in and got involved. And, and you know, if God leads you to be here, let me encourage you with something. When you feel like God wants you to be here, don't just keep checking things out. Jump in. Jump in. Get involved. There's so many ways to get involved other than teaching a class or, or preaching or, or doing these different things. Man, find somebody. Hey, who can I love on? Who can I help? I guarantee there's people in this room that probably wouldn't admit it that would love for somebody to come along and help them and pray with them and love on them and build fellowship and reputation and encourage. They would love that. And then, by the way, they need it. Don't always look for your Barnabas. Be one. I'm so thankful for the Barnabas people that God's put in my life. But God's telling me, he says, Phil, it's time for you to be one to a lot of people too. There's people that need it just like you did. And the last thing I see this is he had a servant's focus, number five. He was busy, but he needed help. It says, then, then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul, verse 26. And when he had found him, he brought him into Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. Can I tell you something? That means this. Barnabas had a team philosophy. By the way, if you're going to go look for an assistant pastor, I mean, Paul's going to be a pretty good guy to grab, right? Barnabas say, hey, what God's doing, I'm excited here in Antioch. Let me go find Saul. Saul's there. Let me bring him in because, one, Saul's going to be a great help to this church. But his church is going to be a great help to Saul. It's going to be a great help to him. And he said, it's not about me. I, and he's excited about it, about what God was doing. And he wanted them to get involved. And may the days come in your life and heart that God is doing great things here. I don't think I'm stepping outside of God to say that. I think God is doing great things here that we ought to be excited about. But if we're truly excited about it, we want other people to get in on it. 
if it's really eternal and not temporal. To join in. And we see he had perseverance. You see how long he and Saul were there together? A year teaching people. Sometimes it's hard to get people involved for a month. They committed a year. You think they saw good things? Absolutely. You think they saw problems? See, the problem with commitment today is when the first sign of danger or inconvenience, we're already hit the eject button. This ain't convenient. Bye. This ain't exactly the way I want it to be. Bye. Commitment today does not mean what it meant then, especially in the church. I mean, they gave a whole year for this in this. But he worked there, and he wanted to be a part of it. Because Barnabas says, I'm in for this to stay. And you know what it says at the end of verse 26? Because they were committed, because of things, and the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That was the result of all these things we've been talking about today. Because of this, they said when people, by the way, these are lost people, looked at them, they started calling them Christians. You know why? Because Barnabas and Saul didn't want to be called Barnabas and Saul. They wanted people to look at them and call them Christian. Let me ask you, do you want your name praised or do you want the name of Christ praised? Do you want someone to look and say, man, look at you, Phil. Or would you rather be known as Christian? A little Christ. I tell you, I like to hear my name. I think a lot of us do. But say that idea, they were called Christian first at Antioch. And I close with this thought. Let me ask you a question. Do you want God to do something great? Do you want God to use you in your life? Do you want God to do something in your marriage, and your relationships, maybe in raising your children? Do you want God to do something maybe on your job and maybe with other people? Do you want to see God do something and use you? And I got a question for you. Are you a good man? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have strong faith or just when it's easy? Do you desire to see fruit in your life? And also, are you committed? Come good times or bad times? See, Barnabas did that. And because of the way Barnabas lived his life as a church member in Antioch, people all around the world called them Christians. We won't get into this, but Acts chapter 13, verse number 2, is something pretty simple. After God did all these works there in Antioch, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit said, separating to me Barnabas and Saul, they actually sent Saul and Barnabas out. First time when Barnabas got sent from Jerusalem, who sent him? The leaders, right? Acts 13, 2, when it came time to let the Gentiles in the world know who Christ was, you know who sent him? Holy Spirit said. May we be people that want to be used of God later, but let's do better at what we're doing right now. Let's stand together if you would. Father, thank you.